Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 25th episode of the year. Earlier this week, the Fiber Broadband Association sent a letter to the California Assembly Budget Committee and State Budget Committee in support of Governor Newsom's proposal to invest $7 billion of the state's surplus funds and the federal funds allocated to California for the state's fiber broadband infrastructure. This is a tremendous opportunity for California to accelerate the availability of fiber broadband to unserved areas of the state, including tribal areas, which are largely unserved. The California's fiscal year ends at the end of June, just a few days away. So if the state budget committee adopts the governor's proposal, funding can be available as early as July 1st, like next week. With respect to the broadband infrastructure bill, you know, the Fiber Broadband Association and EFF drafted a letter to Congress urging bipartisan support. We currently have 117 organizations that have signed on to that letter. If your organization would like to be included, let me or Ernesto Falcone know by, the, by Friday as we plan to send a letter to Congress by the beginning of next week. So speaking of urgency, we are now 33 days away from the start of the Fiber Connect Conference, which will be held July 25th to 28th in Nashville. This in-person, yeah, in-person event is going to be our biggest and best conference ever. So if you haven't registered yet, please do so, as you won't want to miss it. We've actually extended early bird pricing till this Friday, July 30th. So don't delay, register today. Today's topic is on how fiber broadband can eliminate the North American rural digital divide. And again, good morning and welcome everyone. I'm Gary Bolton, the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last week we met with uh, Spencer Churn, a Wall Street equity analyst with New Street Research to discuss how frontier communications is turning copper into gold with fiber investment. Spence outlined how fiber deployment could improve Frontier's market cap by $20 billion, a 600% increase in valuation. You know, it was very fascinating. So if you haven't seen that, you know, hit the replay. I love that um, session last week. And today we have members of the Fiber Broadband Association's Technology Committee, including committee chair, John George of OFS, Mike Render, RVA, and our favorite Canadian, Barry Walton from Corning. Uh, John George is the Senior Director of Solutions and Professional Services at OFS. He has over 35 years in the industry and has published over 30 papers on fiber optics and has nine patents. He's been an active member of the Fiber Broadband Association since its inception in 2001, and he served on the Fiber Broadband Association's Board of Directors. John currently serves as the Chair of the Technology Committee. With Mike is with John is Mike Render. Mike is the founder and CEO of RVA, RVA Market Research and Consulting. Mike has a long history as a strategic partner at the Fiber Broadband Association, and is best known for his outstanding annual fiber deployment studies, 
as well as other important research studies on fiber broadband. Mike is a longtime contributor on the Fiber Broadband Association's Technology Committee. And Barry Walton is a uh, telecom solutions architect at Corning and resides in St. John, New Brunswick, Canada. And if you've ever been there, you notice uh, the, whole, the whole city goes underground in the winter, so you can get to pretty much anywhere in the tunnels, right, Barry? But he, uh, Barry has extensive industry experience in both the U.S. and Canada and has been a longtime contributor to the Fiber Broadband Association's Technology Committee. And Barry's also a former broad, um, board member. So welcome, gentlemen. For our audience, please type in any questions as we go for our Q&A session at the conclusion of the presentation. So with that, over to you, gentlemen, to lead the presentation. So our agenda today, uh, we're going to talk about the broadband digital divide. What and why is it important? Why is it so critical in rural areas to uh, to close this broadband rural digital divide? What is the state of that? Uh, and that's really uh, driven to a large degree the need to close this broadband digital divide by the speeds we see currently and then projected over the next few years. And finally, how can we eliminate the broadband digital divide? We'll turn it to Barry. Yeah, thanks very much, uh, John and uh, Gary. Thanks for the uh, the nice welcome introduction. And uh, this whole adventure, I would call it, this white paper started two years ago. So we spent a lot of time and a lot of diligence putting together this paper. Uh, and we've uh, since the paper has been publicly announced, uh, we've actually received a lot of questions around it that uh, really brings forward that uh, the timing was great. Uh, this is well needed. It helps people understand uh, based on what the digital divide looks like. So uh, when you look at the digital divide, we've got rural areas with insufficient or no high-speed broadband access. That's what we define it as. And uh, for the first time ever, we've looked at it from both sides uh, in North America, the Canadian side as well as the U.S. side. So as you can see, uh, based on the U.S. stats that we're looking at, basically at least 20 plus percent of Americans. And in Canada, about 44 percent of the Canadian market. And it goes without saying, uh, in the digital divide era, it leads to lower productivity, declining economic development, uh, a disadvantaged level of healthcare, and lagging education. So when you look at high-speed broadband in terms of critical to rural areas, and as we all live through today, through the pandemic, it's being amplified even more. And uh, I, I would look at previous to the pandemic, I've spent a lot of time along with my colleagues here on the call, convincing people that uh, the need for broadband, while we're all living through the pandemic now, I would say, listen, uh, our li daily lives have really changed. We've been really dependent on having broadband. And when you look at all the other technologies that are coming online in terms of precision farming, wind farms, solar farms, they all have a level of component and typically they are positioned out in the rural areas, so they need connectivity. Um, the other thing I, I would say as well, uh, prior to the COVID as well, that uh, a lot of people emphasize a lot about the need for download bandwidth speeds. But again, today we all have a, a, a more understanding and an awareness that upstream bandwidth is as important as download. And 
goes without saying as well, based on how the government and uh, both sides of the border have been reacting in terms of putting funding forward to uh, invest in broadband, it is becoming more and more as an essential service. And when I look at it, we all have personal stories about how it's affected us. And uh, living in Canada, not all of Canada is rural, but I happen to live in a rural community. And uh, prior to COVID, I spent a lot of time visiting customers and so forth. And then when COVID changed, I wasn't able to fly like everybody else. So I had to change on how I was to do my job. And uh, having a really reliance on a broadband connection became mission critical for me to be able to do what I had to do. So I used to have a ritual. Uh, actually, I practiced it again this morning with my family would be that, okay, I'm getting ready for a webinar today. So first off, everybody has to turn off all their devices in the home. And oh, by the way, don't touch them until I give you the green light that it's good to go. Secondly, I reboot my, uh, my router, my modem and my computer, and then that would set me up to go. So uh, when you look at it, uh, being a, a resident in rural Canada, uh, having an essential uh, reliable broadband connection is something that I desire for. And uh, recently I just did a renovation in my house and I, I put in a fiber drop with the anticipation that fiber will get to me here at some point. So uh, I'll turn things over to John. Thank you, Barry. And uh, I'm in a similar situation as Barry, limited upstream bandwidth uh, and uh, three meg. So I had the family, gave them orders to shut down everything. Don't use the internet, please, for the next 45 minutes. So to the next slide, uh, that challenge is only gonna worsen in the future. We have uh, gigabit symmetrical speeds. We anticipate will be required for new applications that are under development. Uh, and these can be virtual reality, augmented reality, rich visual content, uh, through potentially wearable devices that are low cost, that rely on cloud processing and require very high speed symmetrical connections with very low latency to make them work. And this will give a much richer experience for education, work at home, entertainment uh, that isn't available today. And uh, of course, the maximum benefits from these applications are gonna be available to the households with the gigabit connections. Uh, over the Wi-Fi within the household through the fixed broadband connection. Uh, and these applications are reaching uh, into the gigabits individually over time, as you see on the chart here. And so within the technology committee, we looked at this uh, application roadmap uh, under development, used a bottom-up approach based on the speeds, number of devices that will be required for these kinds of applications for video conferencing, uh, for work or education, gaming, security cameras. Uh, I'd love to install an array of security cameras on my house. No way I've got the, the bandwidth to, uh, to really do that from an upstream standpoint. Entertainment, e-learning, all these others. As we move from 4K to 8K video uh, to high definition, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, even to something called retinal that requires hundreds of megabits uh, even compressed per stream over the next decade. We're seeing the bandwidth needs for a household of four, uh, peak bandwidth needs growing from uh, about 130.73 today to over two gigabits per second symmetrical uh, in the next 10 years. Next slide, please. And uh, within the technology committee, we looked at this uh, from a different perspective. How are the average speeds 
trending uh, that, that are measured by UCLA. And um, in the same time frame today, we're about 180, 65 download, upload, uh, and that's trending towards uh, 1.5 gig down, 600 meg up by 2030. Uh, and uh, if we see an increase uh, in upstream bandwidth driven by the aforementioned applications, the virtual, the augmented reality, where you've got to really capture the environment uh, very accurately, visually, transmit that upstream to affect the augmented reality, then we could see 1.5 down, one gig up based on the measured speed trends. So look uh, from the technology committee at two different angles uh, where the data rates uh, will need to be by 2030 for uh, networks that are in place. Next slide, please. And I'll turn it over to Mike. Great, thanks. Thanks, uh, John Berry. Um, you know, all these numbers really do have real world impacts. You know, I, I know it anecdotally, I serve on the Board of Adjustment in a rural county as big as one state and bigger than another. Um, people talk about it at, at uh, hearings for cell towers. They'll come and say, you know, I have no fixed broadband option. Uh, cell is my only option right now. Uh, but right now I have to drive two miles and park on the top of the hill, to, to, you know, once a night to try to get my internet. From the data we do, you know, we do a study each year. Uh, this year is 3,000 in the U.S., 1,000 in Canada. One of the things we do is take a speed test during the survey to get a random sample. And we can divide that into five different groups, five quantiles. Um, and when you look in the right on the, the orange one over there, you can see the lowest quantile, which is about 4-1, I think it is, but it, it shows that about 50% talk about serious in-home rationing, the kind of thing that John and Barry were talking about. We ask people how much time they spend waiting for things to load, the gear turning like on the left there. And uh, it adds up to about 11 hours for that group. Now think about that, that's like 300 hours per year. They don't always think about it as you're waiting, but huge productivity loss. When we, um, when we talk about Next slide. You know, we talk about the broadband picture. Um, the green areas, the most rural, the 20% least dense populations, that's about 80% of the land area in the US. And it's even more land area in Canada where even more concentrated population. But the, the lower slide that shows the speed trends, uh, blended upload and download over time, you can see the, the yellow line is about 36% of the suburban line. So much slower speed in the rural areas on average. Uh, much higher percent have those lower quantiles on the pie chart. You've got the percent not connected to fiber in those most rural areas, 87%. So definitely a big need. So what do we do about this? Uh, I'm going to say up front, the answer is fiber. And, and that's not because this is sponsored by the Fiber Broadband Association, but it's because of hard data. And we've done a lot of work in these studies and elsewhere. We, we One of the things we did is we looked at not just download speed, but upload speed, latency, how long it takes an individual packet to reach you, like voice, think voice delay, um, uh, reliability and satisfaction. And we normalize the scores and we can compare the different technologies. On the, on the left side of the screen, you've got cable, uh, then you've got twisted pair telephone lines, DSL, the next one, you've got wireless from either a maxi tower to to uh, a, a hotspot in your home or a fixed wire solution to an antenna. Satellites like the, uh, the traditional geo satellite, 
or the new LEO satellite, but in all cases, much lower performance than fiber. We also looked at hard data to look at the, the cost it takes to operate these, these each year, uh, much higher. Uh, you know, you've got uh, cable at at least uh, two times more, DSL three times more, wireless more than that. A lot of that is because these other technologies have a lot of electronics in the field, switches and amplifiers and so forth that are prone to failure. Uh, in the case of antennas, you, you many times have to have a, a clear line of sight. Wind can develop it, uh, can, can interrupt that weather. So a lot of, a lot of reason for, for problems. Uh, eventually, all of these will have to transfer to fiber in any case. So the answer is, is clearly to move to fiber. Um, and again, there's some confusion about 5G. 5G is great for mobility, but it's not the answer for a home, especially in a rural area. For the best flavor of 5G, you've got to take fiber to a tower that's about 300 feet away from your home anyway. And then you have all the problems of uh, line of sight. So really, you know, fiber is the long-term solution could be conducted, especially when government money is involved based on the data. States are doing a, a, a will play a big part in the future in, in helping promote this in their state and um, helping distribute national funds. And this really needs to be uh, done in a way that ultimately uh, serves customers best. One of the things we saw in our paper, one last thing, we, we, we saw a huge migration shift starting to happen away from urban centers to rural areas, away from coastal states to mid states. But to take advantage of that uh, massive shift, mm -hmm. these states and these rural areas really need to be prepared in terms of, of broadband first-class broadband availability to, to be able to take advantage of the shift going forward. So with that, I think I'll turn it back to Barry to, to take us home. Barry? All right, well, thanks very much, Mike. And just a couple other things as well that uh, we've been seeing probably in the last eight to nine months is the migration shift of folks moving back to rural areas, looking for uh, an enhanced quality of life. Uh, the, the new generation really enjoys the outdoors, sports, and things like that. And we are seeing both uh, in Canada and the U.S. that there is a, a shift starting to happen to move back to the rurals. And one of the questions is always is asked is, is there a broadband connection, a reliable, robust broadband connection? In a lot of cases, they're asking, is there fiber in the home in those areas to uh, help that decision uh, move forward? As Mike talked about a little bit earlier, rural speeds, uh, when you look at them, are between 35 to 60 percent slower than the urban areas. And as John has touched on, uh, when you look at the bandwidth needs, uh, when you look across uh, where things are going and so on, that uh, rural North America could very well be left behind uh, if uh, the investment is not made to uh, expand out uh, rural broadband uh, using fiber. So at the end of the day, when you look at everything, to close the digital divide, this piece of glass is the enabler that makes all of that happen. And uh, that's why we say, if it's not fiber, it's not broadband. So Gary, turn it back to you. Thanks, guys. Um, really interesting. And uh, got a lot of questions about when this is white paper, you know, where do we get it and when is it available? And I just checked with Debbie and she said that it'll be on our website by the end of the day and uh, we'll send a link out in the obstacles newsletter tomorrow we also have a two-pager that's up that summarizes the white paper so um, you know great work on the white paper and presentation 
So just starting out, um, you know, AT&T CEO John Stanky made a comment, and I want you guys to give me your reaction. Says, I don't think it's optimally the best thing for the American taxpayer to think about putting fiber to every farmhouse in the United States, when in fact we can do it in a variety of different ways with a variety of different technologies. So what do you think about that? So the CEO of AT&T says, we don't really need fiber in rural America. Well, just start out with, with all um, respect to John, and he's building a lot of fiber right now. Uh, so we're happy about that. But, you know, I've heard that argument before, you know, back 20 years ago, people said, you know, we're, yes, I, I believe fiber is coming, but the interim solution will work. And it's going to be 20 years before people really need this, this speed and so forth. But it never works out that way. Um, you know, we, we can look at people in bankruptcy, telecom companies in bankruptcy right now. There's about four or five of them, and they all say in their bankruptcy filing, I should have done fiber earlier. Um, rural areas definitely need it just as much, even more so than urban areas, because people are more physically disconnected. They need to be more virtually connected for, for vocation, for uh, shopping, for schooling, for everything else. So. That's my take that that even more need in rural areas than urban need. He's not. I didn't hear John Sankey saying that uh, it's not needed in rural America, but he's saying there are other approaches. Uh, and uh, certainly that is something that that each carrier will decide themselves based on the market conditions. Uh, but, you know, from a long term perspective, as we're saying here, uh, fiber can close the broadband rural digital divide. Uh, so I got this is kind of a long-winded, um, almost a narrative here. Let me try it. So growing up as a son of a landlord of a country pub, I was acutely aware of the need to leave the village to enter industries outside of agriculture. One of the drivers to innovate for a broadband provider was opening up options for rural employment. And as I work from home as a consultant, for example. So using mole plowing, um, a communications providers have been able to reach uh, remote opportunities via the verge or um, cross country, benefiting landowners granting access to the routes along the way as we pick up uh, their farmhouses. Are you using mole plowing to deploy fiber? Uh, and if not, why? I'll, uh, I, I haven't heard tell of mole plowing before. However, I'm very familiar with plowing cable in, which uh, has been used a great deal in rural North American areas where the soil conditions are conducive of doing that. And it is a very economical and quick way to bury fiber optic cables. Uh, that technology has been around uh, since the early days of telecom when the first copper cables went in the ground. Uh, so, uh, but I'm much not aware of mole plowing. It'll be something I'll have to uh, research on. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like directional boring, which is uh, basically drilling holes underground uh, with a guiding technology. It's very inconspicuous uh, and uh, leaves no visual impact on the landscape. So it's a very, as Barry said, it's very uh, cost-effective technology in a lot of cases to deploy fiber uh, virtually invisibly to the outside landscape. Yeah, there's certainly a number of techniques. So. Yeah, my neighborhood, yeah, use directional boring, get under the sidewalks and driveways, and even to get under the, the rivers that are next to us and so forth. Um, you know, other things, we've seen great advancements in uh, micro-trenching, 
you know, um, so that's a great way to be able to accelerate deployment. We've even seen things like we had one of our guests talks about, you know, the traction technique of painting fiber on white lines and roads and, you know, get across bridges and so forth. So a lot of, I think there's been some tremendous advancements in deployment techniques and we'll be celebrating some of those in our, um, you know, 20 years of evolution of fiber at home at our conference. So, you know, please check out that. Uh, Mike, this one's for you. And it says, Mr. Render seems to be stating that wireless needs line of sight. And I think you're pretty much talking about fixed wireless. But in most cases, cellular RF, 5G, 4G, et cetera, et cetera does not need line of sight um, as these are not microwave links. Yeah, well, let me clarify that. Um, what I was talking about was when people talk about 5G, they talk usually about the highest version of that, the millimeter wave version that is capable of gigabit bit speeds potentially. But again, that's when you go to that millimeter wave version of 5G, you're talking about a short distance and you're talking about pretty much line of sight uh, and you have to have a very clear path. Now, true, if you go to other versions of wireless, you do not need line of sight as much, but line of sight still, you know, obstacles and weather can still impact uh, lower frequencies of wireless. But yes, to clarify, I'm talking about millimeter wave 5G there. Yeah, and we all enjoy, I mean, every device we have is untethered these days. So at some point between the device and uh, the network is some kind of wireless, whether it's Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, 5G, whatever. Um, so I, I think that no one's arguing against mobility, but I think we're all arguing that uh, wireless loves fiber, right? Get it out of the air and into the ground at the first available point so that you can have more reliability, right. more bandwidth, low latency, all that good stuff. Right. On that, the last question I asked, um, I got some clarification. So it's a hollow vibrating blade through which the ducts and cables pass is what they were talking about. Yeah, vibratory oh, plow. Yeah, that's a vibratory plow. And it basically slices holes in the ground and the holes basically self-heal because they're very narrow. Um, but yeah, very cost-effective approach to deploy fiber. So we have this, you know, um, uh, Elon Musk and his uh, low earth orbit satellite saying, hey, um, something's better than nothing, right? I hear that argument. And I've even had people write me saying, um, you know, Gary, you, I saw you, you know, arguing against Elon Musk and, you know, we live out in rural, in rural area and we would love to have, you know, low earth orbit satellite because we have nothing. Um, is nothing better, something better than nothing? I mean, what, why, why shouldn't 640,000 people um, have LEO satellites instead of fiber? Well, I, you know, I think certainly private providers are free to use any technology and every technology helps, but ultimately to, to reach, the, reach the needs of the future in the vast majority of cases, it's gonna to have to be fiber. And I think the difference is we really need to look at holding high standards, not technology specific, but very high standards when we're looking at government subsidy, use of taxpayer funding to try to bridge this world digital divide. You know, uh, yeah, what we last week was from the equity analyst was that um, if, if you are a service provider and you're deploying something other than fiber, you're trading at four to six times EBITDA 
and those deploying fiber are trading at 10 to 15 times EBITDA. So I would think that, um, you know, there's billions of dollars that you're going to miss out on if you don't deploy a future-proof technology. Um, so last question, <laughs> maybe Barry, you might be the closest to this, but um, what is the current cost estimate for rural fiber installation in Maine? That varies. Uh, there's a lot of variables in that uh, when you look at it. So the variables would be, are you going buried? Or are you going aerial? And uh, then a lot comes into it in terms of the density, in terms of how many homes per road mile. So it's, it's awful hard to say, hey, here's a, here's a number. Uh, I, I would encourage the, uh, the folks that are asking the question to reach out to me. And uh, we've actually uh, can probably provide that based on a little bit more information of uh, the area that they're looking to serve and so forth. Well, thanks, gentlemen. You know, we really appreciate your leadership and, you know, the hard work leading the technology committee and for sharing your insights on the rural digital vibe with our audience today. Next week, we're going to be discussing unlocking the potential of your fiber investment, next generation pond technologies with Adtrans CTO for the Americas, Ryan McCowan, will discuss the evolution of pond technologies and what the next three to five years hold for pond development. So you're not going to want to miss that. So thanks again for joining us today, and we look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. You guys have a great week.